Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya, Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya, Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya, Om Ajnana Timurandasya Jnana Janashalakaya, Chakshurun Militam Yena Tasmai Shri Gurave Namaha. Okay, so we're continuing the end of the uh, seventh canto with Narada Muni uh, speaking to Maharaj Yudhisthira. Mm. And it's good to remember the context of some of the shlokas that we're going to cover today. Like, for example, three or four of them are really um, sannyas-oriented, for example. Uh, oh, someone else's. Uh, and we'll go over those contexts as we uh, talk. But we're beginning today with verse number 22. And uh, it's an interesting verse in purport. So... Uh, let us, let us begin. By making plans with determination, one should give up lusty desires for sense gratification. Similarly, by giving up envy, one should conquer anger. By discussing the disadvantages of accumulating wealth, one should give up greed. And by discussing the truth, one should give up fear. Let's read Prabhupada's purport. Srila Vishnav Chakravarti Thakur has suggested how one can conquer lusty desires for sense gratification. One cannot give up thinking of women, for thinking in this way is natural, even while walking on the street. One will see so many women. However, if one is determined not to live with a woman, even while seeing a woman, he will not become lusty. And of course, this means, you know, uh, Prabhupada's using a euphemism here for, in one sense for living. Um, so then he gets into it more clearly. If one is determined not to have sex, he can automatically conquer lusty desires. The example given in this regard is that even if one is hungry, if on a particular day he is determined to observe fasting, he can naturally conquer the disturbances of hunger and thirst. You know, just like, you know, you're, uh, you're I've seen this, you know, before. I, I don't know if it's pizza or something, but, you know, someone's about to put, a bite into a grain and said, Prabhu, it's a codice. We don't eat grains and beans. And they, oh, okay. You know, and because, you know, it has that, um, yeah, that determinant, or, or more so that a better example is that, you know, it's a codice and someone may offer you, you know, the best, uh, you know, whatever it is. Um, um, pastry. Yeah. Pastry, pastry. Or, or, or pizza or, um, um, Italy, or you know, whatever your South Indian paratha, whatever it is, uh, and he said, "No, it's a codice." You know, even though it's it's obviously delicious. No, no, it's a codice. I can't do that. Right. Um, if one is determined not to be envious of anyone, he can naturally conquer anger. Similarly, if one can give up the desire to accumulate wealth simply by considering how difficult it is to protect the money in one's possession. If one keeps a large amount of cash with him, he is always anxious about keeping it properly. Of course, people don't have to worry about that anymore, right? So there's so many places that practically don't even accept cash. <laughs> uh, thus, if one discusses the disadvantages of accumulating wealth, he can naturally give up business without difficulty. So <laughs> it's like, uh, you know, my son, who's a millennial, says, Pitta, you still carry cash in your wallet? Why would you do that? 
<laughs> you know, so things have changed. But the 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 point that I want to focus on in this um, purport is there's different ways to uh, change a habit, to get rid of a bad habit or uh, accumulate a good habit. And one of them is mentioned here. It's not the only one, but, but making that, it's sometimes in Sanskrit, it's called sankalpa, making that determination, you know, uh, taking a vow, I will not do this. And that, uh, that can be very powerful, as we see from this verse. Um, but we also learn from other verses, especially chapter 2, verse 59 of the Bhagavad Gita, that there's other perhaps um, additional or maybe even more powerful ways of changing a habit or avoiding a bad habit, and that is by getting a higher taste. The Sanskrit is param dristva, right? That when one is uh, experiencing something. So, so it's the idea of replacement, right? So let's say you have a bad habit of eating uh, offered, of course, offered, potato chips, right? So um, instead you have, you know, whatever, nice figs or dates or cashews or something like that in, you know, in, in, in reach instead of the chips. And those taste as good, if not better. So, and they're better for you. So, so uh, replacing something with a higher taste. So in, in, in Krishna consciousness, if we taste the beauty of Krishna's holy name, taste the beauty of hearing his philosophy, the beauty of associating with devotees, then we won't want to do, we actually actually won't want to do things against Krishna consciousness. It actually changes the desire because raso by saha, we are enjoyers by nature. So it changes the desire by having a higher taste. And, and that verse says, uh, uh, Raghunanda, what's the beginning of that verse? 259? It, I know the next part is Raso Varcham, Raso Prasya, Param Nivartate. How does it begin for Shakshi? Vishaya Vinivartante, Niraharasya Dehinam. So, what is it next? Uh, gosh, getting old. Raso um, Prasya. Yeah, uh, one can try to keep the senses away from the sense objects, but the taste for that enjoyment remains. But, but by getting a higher taste, one can easily overcome that. So that's another part about habit change, or perhaps the strongest part that we hear. Um, another thing is to not put ourselves in a situation where we are tempted. Now, again, whatever it is, whatever habit, whether it's the potato chips, you know, don't buy them at the store, right? Or, you know, uh, in the first place, don't have them in the house. Um, or, or whether uh, it's attraction to the opposite sex, then, you know, always, uh, you know, um, there's something called, I think I brought this up before. I did bring it up before, I'm sure. Uh, an agreement that Billy Graham made with uh, his um, different pastors in his church, that they would um, have this rule of three, that they would, would not talk, not be alone with someone other, uh, a woman other than their wife. Um, there would always be a third person there. And that way, just avoiding not only the temptation, but the gossip, right? So my point is just that um, whatever it is, 
making it hard to do that activity we want to give up or whatever good, good habit we want, making it easy to do that. Like, let's say you want to exercise after you wake up in the morning and pick up your beads, put on your shoe, uh, your running shoes and, and go for a long walk or something like that. So you, so you have your, your running clothes and your shoes right at your bed or something like that, or right after taking bath, you pick up your beads are there, you pick up your beads and you immediately go out the door and you have warm clothes if it's going to be cold out or rain gear if it's going to rain and you just make it easier to do that habit. Um, and of course, another part of it is, is understanding the philosophy of Krishna consciousness and how certain things are good, favorable, and how certain things are unfavorable. So that's another part. And finally, um, recruiting others to help us. <clears throat> right. So I was talking to a good friend of mine yesterday, and uh, unfortunately, he had a stroke five, four or five months ago, but he's, he's, he's almost fully recovered. I, it, it, cognition is totally recovered. Um, and uh, I called him out of the blue yesterday, just as a friend, not any specific purpose, just to check on him. And, you know, I, you know, we talked and I said, how's it going? He said, well, the only problem is my wife is constantly on my case, he said. And I said, well, let me guess. She's on your case about your diet, about your exercise, right? And he said, yeah, that's right. I said, well, you're very lucky to have a wife like that. <laughs> so to have someone who may be keeping us accountable can be help, helpful. So those were just some thoughts in addition to the suggestions offered in this, in this verse. So comments, questions, thoughts? Okay. Well, I thought, I, you know, I would say, oh, I thought this is going to, you know, uh, generate discussion, but I guess I was wrong. <laughs> it's not a problem. It's just uh, uh, an assumption that I made, which was not an accurate assumption. Well, I can bring up a picky point. Okay, go be picky. Uh, the way that it's translated here, mm -hmm. it kind of makes one thing into two things, right? Because if you look at the original uh, Sanskrit, He's kind of making it uh, parallel. So he says, by making plans with determination, one should give up. And then uh, he says, by discussing the disadvantages of accumulating wealth, one should give up greed. Right. But it doesn't really read like that in the Sanskrit. The first part does, kind of. Well, I, I'm not a Sanskrit scholar, but it might be that the word uh, yajet replies to all of the points made in the in the... You know, I thought about that, but I'm not convinced of it. Wait, I'm, I'm sorry. How are you saying it reads differently? Well, if you look at the Sanskrit, uh -huh. saying by determination, and this is jayet, one should conquer. There's uh -huh. the word should, right? Uh -huh. And then the second part, if you look at arta, accumulation of wealth, a cause of trouble, by considering, uh, it doesn't really... It's not strictly parallel, but like I'm not an expert in languages either. But like Raj said, it could multiply. That should could multiply down. Mm -hmm. We don't know unless you know Sanskrit. But right. the, my real point is: um, is it one thing or two things? Is it by making plans 
with determination, one shall give up lusty desires. Or is it you make the plans and then you should give up lusty desires? That's uh-huh. my that's my that's my picky point. Oh, I got it, got it. Yes. If so I that, make that's, really that's more than the English. Yeah. The if I make really good determined plans, then I have a good path to giving up lusty desires, or I have to make the plans plus really work on giving up desires. Or is the plan to give up lusty desires? It's kind of like, and, and the, yeah. you know, it's interesting you bring this up because in, um, what verse is that? I don't remember by memory. I'm thinking it's 229 of the Gita. Let me see if that is accurate. 229. Oh, amazing. My memory is not that bad. <laughs> so if you look at 229 of the, here, I'll share my screen so you can see it. I mean, Sanskrit is a complicated language. There's so many rules. And when Prabhupada is translating, he's looking at, I think, six different uh, commentaries of the great Acharyas. So it's not just like whimsical. It's very, very um, deep meditation. But this verse here, I hope you can see that now. Ascharyavat pasyati kaschit enam. Ascharyavat vadati tataiva chanya. Uh, Ascharya Vach China Anya Srinoti Sutva Yenam Veda Nachayava Kaschit. And this, the uh, one, uh, some look on the soul as amazing, some describe him as amazing, and some hear of him as amazing, while others, even after hearing about him, cannot understand him at all. Now, if we look at uh, the book "Surrender Unto Me," so Acharya, you can I think you can see this right. Acharya Acharyavat means amazing. Pasyati means see. Vadati means describes. Trinoti means here. The first line of this verse says Acharyavat Pasyati. Some look on the soul as amazing. The second line says Acharya uh, Acharya Vad Vadati. Some people speak about the soul is amazing. And the third line says, Shrinoti. Some hear about the soul and think of him as amazing. In the first line of Srila Prabhupada's translation, some look on the soul is amazing. Ascharyavat amazing is taken to modify soul, which is the object of the sentence. Srila Baladevidya Bhusana has given two more interpretations, wherein the word Ascharyavat additionally modifies the sentence subject and verb. Thus, each line of this verse can be explained in three ways, as the word for amazing changes from modifying the object, the soul, to modifying the subject and the verb. Ascharyavat can modify people, the subject of the sentence. Some people who are amazing look upon the soul. If if Ascharyavat modifies the verb, look, the sentence reads, some people look amazingly at the soul. Depending on, how one trans- oops, depending on how one translates this amazing verse, the people who see the soul are amazing, the soul is amazing, or the power to see the soul is amazing. The second line, some people describe the soul as amazing, can also be translated in three ways, with vadati describes replacing sees. Similarly, the third line can be translated in three ways, by using the word Srinoti, hears. So just to give you uh, 
uh, a little taste of the uh, richness of Sanskrit and that, you know, Prabhupada had to keep the Bhagavatam from being like, instead of um, taking up your bookshelf, taking up three bookshelves. <laughs> so he couldn't for every verse get into all these nuances, but that was, I just wanted to show you one verse and uh, some of the nuances. Wasn't that, I thought, I hope you found that interesting. That was a very comprehensive answer. I, I really like that. Thank you. Uh, either Ananda Rupa, Devi, or Jiva Tattva who has their hand up. Or Mother Yashoda and Krishna, I can't see. Hare Krishna. <laughs> uh, this is Jiva Tattva Das Prabhu. Hare Krishna. So very nice explanation. Now, Acharya has also revealed, uh, there's a reason that you have to understand, we have to understand this in disciplic succession. Because Sanskrit is a thinking, feeling, willing language. It's a contextual language, not just like a literal language. So sometimes I have seen so many of my friends when we are reading Bhagavad Gita at work or even in a you know, normal gathering, they pick up the same word, has a completely com different meaning. And that's where we have to go back and say, it's a contextual language. It, you cannot just take the literal words as it is. And that is the significance of disciplic succession because we are getting the message as Lord Krishna intended. Mm, nice. Not as he worded. <laughs> Hare Krishna. Thank you. And we're going to talk about the subject succession soon. Um, anything else before we move on? Uh, one one more thing in addition to what you said, Prabhu. Yes, Raghunanda Prabhu. Uh, even in this text, if we just take it line by line, the first line says, based on the word-for-word -word translation, it says, by determination, one should conquer lusty desire. So that's the first line. And the second line is uh, anger by giving up the objective of sense desire. So that's second line. The third line is accumulation of wealth, which is a cause of trouble by considering greed. And then the fourth line becomes fear by considering the truth. Mm. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, very well said. Okay, then let us carry on. And we are going up to verse 25 to 27. Actually, I, I lumped those three together. So 23, by discussing spiritual knowledge, one can conquer lamentation and illusion. I think we've all had that experience, right? When we're, when we're kind of fixed and or hearing Shastra or attending classes, um, we, yeah, we, we don't lament so much or an illusion. By serving great devotee, by serving a great devotee, one can become prideless. By keeping silent, one can avoid obstacles on the path of mystic yoga. And simply by stopping sense gratification, one can conquer envy. So that, uh, that silent one, um, I, I found really interesting. I, um, I don't know if I can find it real quickly here, but I was, I stumbled upon um, this really um, um, interesting uh, movie, YouTube movie. Uh, it's on YouTube, the whole movie. Oh yeah, here, is this it? Yes, I found it. I'm not suggesting you watch the whole movie, by the way, but uh, it's, um, I will put it in the chat just, just out of interest. What it is, is um, <laughs> it's a 
two hour and 40 minute movie <laughs> um, called In Great Silence. And it's a documentary um, from 2005 that portrays the everyday life of the Cartusian monks uh, in the French Alps. And they, they never speak to each other. <laughs> There's no talking. And um, yeah, and, and you know, they, they show things like, you know, the monks getting haircuts and they just, they don't think, they just, you know, uh, and they're, they're, when they eat, there is one person who reads, I guess, from scripture uh, while they're eating, but they, they, they are in silent prayer. You know, this is all day long. And it just reminded me of, um, a, I mean, it was, you know, it was a little inspiring, not that, uh, not that, you know, that's not our philosophy, right, to be silent, but Prabhupada defines silence as not talking nonsense or not hearing Gramyakatana Shunibe, right? Uh, not, not hearing gossip and things like that. So it did remind me of our definition of silence is to talk about Krishna and things related to Krishna. Um, but I did find that, you know, so these are. It's, it's kind of like that whole Hegel thing, right? Uh, thesis, antithesis, synthesis. The thesis is we talk about all kinds of material things and get into material consciousness. So these uh, monks, they did the opposite, no talking. And we combine the two and just say, no talking about material things, right? So we, we but we talk all the time. And I don't think I, I could handle a day in that monastery because I'm from New York. I'm just used to talking, you know, all the time, <laughs> unfortunately. But I did find it. I did find it interesting that yes, if you're if you're just going to talk about material things, better be a monk of the Alps. But rather, better talk about God and and use your uh, voice. Um, but I just it yeah, it brought me. It, it I thought about it. Said by keeping silent, one can avoid obstacles on the path of mystic yoga. Uh, and okay, then text uh, twenty four. By good behavior and freedom from envy, one should counteract sufferings due to other living entities. By meditation and trance, one should counteract sufferings due to providence. And by practicing hatha yoga, pranayama, and so forth, one should counteract sufferings due to the body and mind. Similarly, by developing the mode of goodness, especially in regard to eating, one should conquer sleep. So, um, yes, hatha yoga and pranayama, pranayama especially for the mind, hatha yoga, and also the body, hatha yoga for the body, um, they help. Um, uh, eating the right kind of foods, one doesn't have to sleep more than required. Like, we, like we've said many times, it's really sad. I mean, of course, in America, what people eat is just incredible. Um, India's gotten a lot worse. And, and the other thing about India that we've talked about before is, you know, people have these huge meals at 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night. It's like, you know, talk about like the worst thing, one of the worst things, you know, Ayurveda, right, says the fire of digestion is highest around when the sun is at the peak in the sky, right, right like noon or whatever it is at the time of the year. And so... So that's the idea. So eating in the mode of goodness, eating foods that are healthy um, means we don't have to 
oversleep. All right, so let's continue then um, up to 25, okay? Um, 25, one must conquer the modes of passion and ignorance by developing the mode of goodness. And then one must become detached from the mode of goodness by promoting oneself to the platform of Shuddha Sattva, pure goodness, Krishna consciousness. All this can be automatically done if one engages in the service of the spiritual master with faith and devotion. In this way, one can conquer the influence of the modes of nature. So I'm combining 25, 26, 27. Uh, I thought I highlighted this, but I guess I didn't. Um, in 25, Prabhupada writes like the third sentence, yogis and ganis practice in so many ways to conquer the senses, but the bhakta immediately attains the mercy of the Supreme Personality of Godhead through the mercy of the spiritual master. And then at the end, if one is a pure devotee acting under the direction of the guru, one easily gets the mercy of the Supreme Lord and thus becomes immediately situated on the transcendental platform. Then 26 says, the spiritual master should be considered to be directly the Supreme Lord because he gives transcendental knowledge for enlightenment. Consequently, for one who maintains the material conception that the spiritual master is an ordinary human being, everything is frustrated. His enlightenment and his Vedic studies and knowledge are like the bathing of an elephant. And we know the bathing of the elephant example. He takes a nice bath in the, uh, in the lake and then rolls in the dirt afterwards. And then 27, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Lord Krishna, is a master of all other living entities and of the material nature. His lotus feet are sought and worshipped by great saintly persons like Vyas. Nonetheless, there are fools who consider Lord Krishna an ordinary hum human being. Mm. So Prabhupada writes in the beginning, the example of Lord Krishna being the Supreme Personality of Godhead is appropriate in regard to understanding the spiritual master. The spiritual master is called Sevaka Bhagavan, the servitor personality of Godhead. And Krishna is called Sevya Bhagavan, the Supreme Personality of Godhead who is to be worshipped. And then towards the end of the purport, if someone considers the Supreme Personality, Krishna or Lord Ramachandra, to be an ordinary human being, this does not mean that the Lord becomes an ordinary human being, right? Just because somebody thinks that, who cares, right? Similarly, if the family members of the spiritual master, who is the bona fide representative of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, considers the spiritual master an ordinary human being, um, this does not mean that he becomes an ordinary human being. The spiritual master is as good as the Supreme Personality of Godhead, and therefore one who is very serious about spiritual advancement must regard the spiritual master in this way. Even a slight deviation from this understanding can create disaster in the disciples' Vedic studies and austerities. So strong words here about the guru. And some, um, let's go back to 25. Um, and the idea being that the devotee of Krishna is very dear to Krishna. And so when we please the devotee of Krishna, um, then Krishna is pleased. And, and therefore it says, you know, um, in 25, 
if one is devoted to the spiritual master, he can conquer sattva, raja, and guna, the three modes of material nature. Yogis and jnanis practice in many ways to conquer the senses, but the bhakta immediately attains the mercy of the Lord through the mercy of the spiritual master. So by serving the devotee, Krishna is, is pleased. So that's, that's, uh, that's one of the main points here. And we, of course, never say that any living entity is God. So hopefully that was clarified in the purport here that there's a Sevaka Bhagavan or the, the servitor personality, the one who's connected with God by service. And then there's the Savior Bhagavan or the worshipful Lord. Uh, and the, the devotee will never claim, the true devotee will never claim to be uh, to be God, that would be the worst thing that he or she would ever do. Mm. Yet, um, this is Krishna's system. We say, Krishna, I want to please you. I want to serve you. He said, you want to serve me? Okay, serve my devotee. That's the program. <laughs> and that's it. You know, we could say, well, no, no, I want to serve you directly. No, no, I'm sorry. I already said this in chapter four, verse two of the Gita, evam parampara praptam imam rajarshayovidu, that this Bhagavad Gita comes down into simple succession. Um, now, a little bit more, and then I'll take your comments and questions. Um, and so I, I like to, I'll, maybe I'll tell a little joke about this. Uh, that the family member, because you know, a family member might say, oh, hello, he's my son, what can I say? You know? <laughs> uh, and there's, I'll, I'll say the short version of the joke, but uh, this, uh, this uh, Jewish guy becomes a, uh, a, a sadhu and moves to the Himalayas and has many disciples and he's giving them instructions and his mother, wants to uh, talk some sense into him. And so she, uh, she goes through all these austerities to go to India and go to the Himalayas. And they say, uh, I'm sorry, you know, you, Darshan is done for, for the, for the uh, winter now, he, you know, it's gonna be too cold. And she said, no, I have to see, I have to see him, I have to see him. Uh, and they, you know, they just thought she was a seeker. The, the disciples didn't know that she was a mother. And they say, okay, you can go but you can only say six words. Wait, wait, five words. You can only say five words. So she says, okay. So she goes to see him and uh, he sees her and he, so she says five words, five words, okay. Okay, I'm your mother, come home. <laughs> so. Anyway, the idea that, you know, she obviously didn't see him in the same way that the disciples did. <laughs> um, so one should be careful about accepting a spiritual master um, because we, uh, because the scripture is not, you know, some kind of cult thing about some bogus person who just wants adoration and money from their followers. No, it's, it's, it's stated, you know, um, Throughout the Shastra, we, we sing every morning, Shakshadharitvena Samasta Shastra, Yuktastata Bhavyate Eva Sadhvi, Kintu Prabhur Ya Priya Eva That all the Shastras say this, that the spiritual master should be respected in that way, not as God, but as 
connecting us to God through the Parampara system. So this naturally in a society like ISKCON is a little tricky when you have a hundred people who are spiritual masters. And um, so it's good to think that, well, the spiritual master that I, at least he's, he uh, is my representative for Krishna. Maybe he's Krishna's representative to me, may not be to the other person in, uh, you know, um, down the block, but to me, and that's, that obviously it was simpler when there was just one spiritual master, Srila Prabhupada. Um, and it's trickier in a multi, in a big worldwide institution like ISKCON, where I may see such and such Maharaj as Krishna's representative to me, and I may not so much see it, the other guru down the block in the same way. And it's also tricky in an organization like ISKCON because we have a lot of management to do managerial structures and things like that. And um, in the in bygone days, one just had a spiritual master and he or she, he just gave spiritual instruction, but that spiritual master may also be doing a whole bunch of managerial things. And in management, sometimes people are happy, sometimes people are unhappy, sometimes the decision works well, sometimes it doesn't work so well. So it's a little trickier in ISKCON. Um, and yet we don't, want to give up what the scriptures say about this. So we want to accept the spiritual master in the same way, in an appropriate way, um, and with the desire that if we serve Christians, and it's not just the other, but the good part about ISKCON is we have so many aunts, we have so many uncles, we have so many grandmothers, so many grandfathers like that. And uh, we have so many people that can help us on the path back to Krishna. So uh, are there any thoughts on these three verses? I put them all together. Yes, Shakshi Gopal. I'm not sure it's directly related uh, to this, but like uh, there's something in my mind I just want to check with you and get clarification from. Um, so uh, my confusion is that uh, reciprocation with Krishna, that the pure devotees experiences different types of love, like Vachali Rasa, and then different types of rasas, right? And uh, when we serve to the devotee, uh, it's something like only the survivorship should apply or the experience that uh, the senior, uh, the acharyas experience that their love reciprocation to Krishna um, about the rasas, different rasas. Um, is it something that apply to the uh, devotees or it's just only uh, uh, the reciproc the experience is just only with Krishna. Uh, I'm not sure I caught the essence of your question. So my question is, uh, like acharyas do experience different types of rasas of reciprocation of love with Krishna. Different kinds of yes, okay. Like a vachalya rasa and like you know I guess friendship and then survivorship and okay. conjugal love and all that stuff, right? Okay. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, it's all in the in the mood of service. Like, you know, basically a Vatsalya Rasa is like a parental love. Similarly, in friendship also, it's like a love with the loving reciprocation with the Krishna. And uh, conjugal is also a different type of love reciprocation with Krishna. So all those experiences, it's all serving to the Lord. And uh, when you say that, like, you don't do, do to me, you do basically service to a devotee. 
I'm trying to see the relationship is that the reciprocation of love, the highest level of reciprocation of love, um, the relationship is only meant with Krishna or is something that is there something that like only the servitorship with the devotee is applied here? Like you. Oh, I, I think I get it. So are the different rasas that we have with Krishna related in any way to our relationship with devotees here on this planet? That's correct. Thank you, okay. Prabhu. I, I couldn't frame that question properly. Yes. All right. Well, okay. Let me, uh, uh, if I forget what I just said, remind me <laughs> a few minutes okay. now, because I wanted to say something else first. Um, and, and I really appreciate this question, Shakshi Gopal Prabhu, because you're giving me a chance to clarify this important point. And when I say, you know, Krishna says, serve my devotee, um, we also serve Krishna. Um, and it's not that the guru is over here and Krishna's over there. They're, they're in line, you know, in the disciplic succession, it's this one after another, after another, that everyone in one sense gives us a sharper view of Krishna. So um, what does the spiritual master tell us to do as service? Serve Krishna. So, you know, guru Krishna prasade pai bhakti latabhi. So they're, they're intimately connected. So it's not like I have my guru and forget about Krishna. No, it's, uh, it's a package deal, so to speak. So I just wanted to make that point. Um, then when we study the nectar of instruction, verse number seven, I believe, um, Prabhupada quotes the verse, a very important verse quoted in the Chaitanya Charitamrita. Seva sadaka rupena siddha rupena chaturi. I know the first two lines better than the last two. But that it basically says that we serve here on this planet um, in our sadaka form, our, our you know, form as a, you know, a man or a woman and, and uh, you know, using this body to serve Krishna. And Siddha Rupena Chaturi, that when we, be, when we practice Raghunuga Bhakti at more advanced stages, we meditate on our eternal service to Krishna. <clears throat> um, and we see sometimes people get that confused. They walk around Vrindavan, a man dressed as a gopi or something like that, and they, they didn't follow this, this uh, verse. <laughs> um, so generally, our, as it was put one time, we serve Lord Chaitanya, and that means including this disciplic succession in Dasyaras, and he gives us the mercy to understand and uh, experience the higher rasas. But we serve, just like in our, in our case, we serve Lord Chaitanya by helping him in his Sankirtan mission. And that's, that's in one sense, Dasya, in one sense. Although one could argue that the holy name is Madhurya, but that's, you know, we, but we serve our spiritual master in this way and, and Lord Chaitanya, and they, you know, help open the door to our eternal relationship with Krishna. But we don't, uh, we certainly don't have, uh, I don't even want to mention this prayer, but we certainly don't have, like, for example, women disciples having a conjugal relationship with their guru, obviously, right? And neither do we, um, even though it says that one should have a firm friendship. You remember that in the beginning of the 12th chapter of the seventh canto? Brahmachari, Guru Kule, Vastam, Dantam, Gorohitam. 
in the last line it says uh, sorida sorida that one has a very strong friendship but that friendship is not you know going up to your guru slapping him on the back and say how's it going maharaj you know i hope you're doing okay you know you want to go have a you know pizza at govinda's <laughs> you know right we don't uh, we don't do that and obviously we don't um, uh, I mean, in one sense, you could say there's a bit of the uh, Vatsalya Ras in this, of the spiritual master being like the father figure. Mm. Um, like that. And also, if, if as, you know, this is possible that as one gets up in ages, let's say your spiritual master is 80 and you're 70, it might be a little bit more of a friendship relationship at that time. Some things may have changed, but not, yeah. Does that, does that help actually go Prabhu? Yes, Prabhu. So my understanding is like, uh, we serve the, we serve Lord Chaitanya as a servitorship. Um, and then basically he opens the door to understand our eternal service. Yes. That's what it is. And like, we always be uh, in the mood of servitorship with our spiritual master. That is the only thing that, we should focus on and like as, as as you said you're given some examples like based upon the age and things like that may, may change a little variance some adjustment yes some adjustments but like basically our uh, our process is just like survivorship like you know um, yes and thank i'm you, just bro. just looking for the verse yes and so just to give you uh some shastric reference to what i was just saying this is from the uh the very four, the fourth verse in the whole Chaitanya Charitamrita, Narpita Charim Chirat, Karunayovi of Tinarkalo, Samarpayatam Unnato Ujvala. I didn't pronounce that one. Unnatojvala Rasam Swabhakti Shriyam, Hari Purata Sundara Duti Kadamba Sandipata, Sada Hridaya Kandare, Spuratu Va Sachinandana. May the Supreme Lord, who is known as the son of Srimati Sachi Devi, Lord Chaitanya, be transcendentally situated in the innermost chambers of your heart. Resplendent with the radiance of molten gold, he has appeared in the age of Kali by his causeless mercy to bestow what no incarnation has ever offered before, the most sublime and radiant, radiant mellows of devotional service, the mellow of conjugal love. So he comes to give us the highest rasas. Okay. Anything else on spiritual master or these points? Yes, Prabhu. I have one thing very nicely explained by you to answer Sakshi Gopal Prabhu's question. I was also thinking um, the any service that we render, it could be to anybody, but the intention behind rendering that service is to please Krishna. Mm. Very nice. So even when it comes to even serving our spiritual master or serving any other devotees, the intention is Krishna should be pleased. That's one thing. And the second thing with this discussion is uh, everybody is a part and parcel of the Supreme Lord. So even while we are serving them, uh, we are in one way serving Krishna. 
so we have to keep that in mind always uh, it's it's not like two separate things it's 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 very highly interconnected and you gave a very nice example of the disciplic succession guru is connected to the other guru in the guru parampara all the way to krishna so all these things come into play and that that's that that's how we understand service and serving others yes thank you and i'll just uh, add a little detail to that with your permission and see if you agree with this um how we serve devotees and how we serve the general public may be slightly different uh in 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 our tradition we 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 separate we we differentiate uh vaishnava seva and jiva doya so vaishnava seva means to serve those who have dedicated their lives to krishna and jiva doya is to give kindness and compassion and Krishna consciousness to those who um, um, have not connected yet with Krishna. Is that all right, Bhagavan Prabhu? Yeah. Okay. Yes, Prabhu. Anything else? Yeah, can I just quickly say, I'm a very doubting Thomas, but I have zero doubt when Prabhupada says this, because if you, I reflect back when he started, when he first chartered the Society of New York, he was wor working with dirty hippies, right? Initially, I mean, basically that's what they were. And then nobody had more problems with the burgeoning growth of ISKCON than Prabhupada did, right? Imagine when it's exploding, it's getting big and working with all these people. So when he says that, he's not saying it so he will get it. I don't think he got it that much a lot of the time. He's saying this is the way. It's not because it's going to benefit him. He's saying right. this is the way we do it. And I believe in 100% on this. Yeah. And he showed it in his own life. I mean, in, in the most amazing way that he, he was so happy in Vrindavan, living at the Radhadamadar temple, chanting Hare Krishna, studying the Goswami's books. But he got on a steamship at the age of 69, almost 70, uh, suffered heart attack, you know, the whole thing, like you're saying. So he, and why? Only because he was requested by his guru. Yeah, so he definitely showed it. Yes, uh, and, uh, either Ananda Rupa or Jiva Taprabhu. Hare Krishna Prabhu, thank you. Thank you so much for explaining this. And as we hear from the Acharyas and the Shastras, uh, seva, service, especially for the guru, you can do it in two ways, Vapu Seva and Vani mm. Seva. Hare Krishna. Yeah, so uh, for those who may not know those two Sanskrit words, Vapu means um, serving the person, the body, you know, the person in front of you. And Vani means serving the instruction. So we may or may not have the Vapu, um, but we all have the Vani. Especially during COVID and all that, you know, we've been a lot less Vapu going around because people aren't traveling and, you know, connecting and things like that, you know. Okay, let us um, continue then. We're going up to 31. Oh, wait a second, I'm on, I'm still on Bhagavad Gita. Oh wait, we're on, which one did we just do? Oh, we just did 27, so 28. Ritualistic ceremonies, regulated principles, austerities, and the practice of yoga are all meant to control the senses and mind. But even after one is able to control the senses and mind, if he does not come to the point of meditation upon the Supreme Lord, 
All such activities are simply labor in frustration. So controlling the mind and senses is a means to an ends, and the ends is focusing on Krishna. Text 29, as professional activities or business profits cannot help one in spiritual advancement, but are a source of material entanglement, the Vedic ritualistic ceremonies cannot help anyone who is not a devotee of the Supreme Personality of God. It's an interesting comparison here. So yeah, doing business, of course, if you dovetail it, you use money in Krishna service, that's a whole different thing. But just working on Wall Street does not make you spiritually advanced in and of itself, right? <laughs> and similarly, doing the Vedic rituals, if they're not connected to bhakti, don't get you very far. <laughs> One who desires to conquer the mind must leave the company of his family. Now, this is, again, let's remember the context, right? The context here now is switching to sannyasis, people who have renounced this world. Um, and by the way, this is a small detail, and it's not a criticism at all. But you know how um, uh, brahmacharis these days, or, or, uh, or even sannyasis, they'll often... Like if they're talking to the public, they'll call themselves monks, right? And I, I get it. It's, it's, a, it's a nice way to, to explain it to someone who doesn't know what a brahmachari is or a sannyasi. Um, it, 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 and, and it's also kind of attractive. People like the idea of monks and especially, you know, um, Buddhist monks, I think, are kind of seen as kind of cool in the West, right? But I was just, so this is not a criticism of that at all, but just a small little detail that you don't even need to know. But most of our brahmacharis and sannyasis are more like mendicants than monks in the Christian use of the word. Monks are considered recluses, like that, you know, that uh, link I just sent you before. Whereas mendicants are beggars and interact with the public. Um, so people like, for example, who sell Prabhupada's books are being acting more like a mendicant. But I, I get it that in the West, people will get the idea of monk better than the word mendicant. But I just researched this yesterday, so I thought I'd give you some totally unimportant information. Okay, so let's hear about these mendicants. <laughs> One who desires to conquer the mind must leave the company of his family and live in a solitary place. And now that doesn't mean you can be you can't be married and conquer your mind, uh, free from contaminated association. Um, to maintain the body and soul together, he should beg as much as he needs for the bare necessities of life. And 31, my dear king, in a sacred and holy place of pilgrimage, one should select a place in which to perform yoga. The place must be level and not too high or too low or low. There one should sit very comfortably being steady and equipoised, keeping the body straight, straight, and thus begin chanting the Vedic pranava, which is Om, right? Um, and Prabhupada writes that generally the chanting of Om is recommended because in the beginning one cannot understand the personality of Godhead. <clears throat> As stated in the Srimad Bhagavatam, Varanti tat tatva vidas tatvam yaj gyanamaviyam brameti paramatmeti bhagavan iti shakyate. Learned transcendentalists who know the absolute truth call the non-dual substance Brahman, impersonal 
all-pervading effulgence, Paramatma, the Lord in the heart, or Bhagavan, the Supreme Lord. So, so this has to be understood. This in tradition it almost sounds contradictory. Prabhupada writes a little further down. There is no difference between the Hari Krishna Mahamantra and Omkar because both of them are sound representatives of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Then he quotes the Bhagavad Gita, Pranava Sarvadeshu. In all Vedic literatures, the sound vibration Omkar is the beginning. So yes, any Vedic mantra has to begin with Om, like Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevai. The difference between chanting Omkar and chanting the Hare Krishna mantra is that the Hare Krishna mantra may be chanted without consideration of the place or the sitting arrangement recommended in the Gita. So he just said that they are, uh, there's no difference. And then he says, but there is a difference. Um, Hare Krishna is more universal because it's connecting with the person Krishna. Because when we practice yoga and chant Om, there's all these rules and regulations. <laughs> to practice yoga, one should go to a secluded place and should lay kusa grass on the ground and then cover it with the deer skin in a soft cloth. The seat should be neither too high nor too low, and one should be situated in a sacred place. So that's for Om. The Hare Krishna mantra may be chanted by anyone without consideration of the place or how one sits. Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu has openly declared Niyamita uh, Smarane Nakala. In chanting the Hare Krishna Maha Mantra, there is no particular injunctions regarding one's sitting place. The injunctions Niyamita Smarane Nakala includes Desha, Kala, and Patra, time, place, time, and circumstance. Therefore, anyone may chant the Hare Krishna Mantra without consideration of the time and place. Especially in this age, Kali Yuga, it is very difficult to find a suitable place according to the recommendations of the Bhagavad Gita. The Hare Krishna Maha Mantra, however, can be chanted at any place, at any time, and this will bring the results ready quickly. Yet even while chanting the Hare Krishna Mantra, one may observe regulated principles. Thus, while sitting and chanting, one may keep his body straight, and this will help one in the chanting process. Otherwise, one may feel sleepy. So they're different. They're the same. Um, Omkar is often used in an impersonalistic way, although it can be also understood in a personal way. And chanting Hare Krishna, there's no rules. There's no right, you know, it's directly Krishna. So by saying Hare Krishna, we're associating with Krishna. Gurudas Prabhu has his hand up. Uh, um, thank you for going through that uh, very nice purport. Um, it, it seems like it seems like um, when when Prabhupada explains Om, he's mm, uh, forgive the expression, trying to achieve dual purposes at the same time he's both he's both saying you know om is krishna just like hari krishna is krishna mm -hmm. but but also um the process uh has to be observed and uh, this is a very important distinction uh, that you're i mean obviously you, you've underlined it just now um but um this this distinction about time and place 
about how uh, chanting Hare Krishna. We also get the uh, warning very clearly that if uh, we don't chant Hare Krishna in the right mentality, uh, that it won't have effect or it won't have, you know, it'll have effect, but Full it won't effect. be. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm not a very advanced thinker, but it's a little confusing that uh, one can't invoke Om in any circumstance. Um, well, it's, it's a, there's a detail to that. It, it's uh, in Vedic, in the chanting of Vedic mantras, one needs to be clean. One needs to uh, pronounce all the Sanskrit perfectly correct. Um, that, right, I see Raghunandan from South India nodding his head. Do you want to give any more details on this, Prabhu? Uh, yes, Prabhu. Uh, the injunctions are like the Vedic mantras require certain level of qualification and standards to be maintained. And it also has to be received from a bona fide guru for the mantra to be really important and effective. And one should follow all those uh, regulations when we are chanting the Vedic mantras. That's why the Hare Krishna Mahamantra is so merciful that we don't need to have all those uh, regulations and restrictions and we can chant at, in any condition of life, in any situation. So that, that's the most merciful form because it's Krishna's holy names. And the other thing that I heard was uh, Om, uh, to just to understand the difference between the Omkar and uh, the Hare Krishna Mahamantra, uh, they normally say like Om is like the address of the person where the person is living. So it will direct the person to that home, the physical location of where the person is residing. But there is a person that is residing in the home that we want to meet. Similarly, Om, chanting the home will just take us to that address. But if we want to meet the person inside the home, it's like the Hare Krishna Mahamantra is like that because we are calling out on the names of the Supreme Lord. Nice. And it's, and I know it's a bit of a, uh, it took me years to wrap my mind around this, but you know, that the verse that Prabhupada's quoting in the purport is saying that Brahman, Paramatma and Bhagavan are all three non-dual. They're all spiritual. Uh, and then, so that's in that's the sense in which Srila Prabhupada is saying um, there's no difference between the two mantras because they're both spiritual. But within all spiritual, there's gradation, and Bhagavan is the highest or the personal understanding of Krishna. Thank you. Can for I that. Uh, say no. something? Uh, yeah. yeah, just one before you do, it's just, it just reminds me a little uh, uh, if you look at Shushil's backdrop, this is kind of a good example. So the person talking to Lord Chaitanya there is Sarvabhoma Bhattacharya. And prior to him taking up bhakti, he was, one, he was like an omkarwala. <laughs> and everything had to be pakka and done appropriately. Uh, for example, if someone brought you a meal to eat, you first had to take bath, had to put on, you know, and appropriate clothing, and then you could have the meal. So... Uh, Lord Chaitanya brought him some Mahaprasadam. He was 
just getting up from bed and he immediately ate the Mahaprasadam without following the, the, the uh, Brahminical rules. And Lord Chaitanya was very pleased with him because he followed a higher principle and that Mahaprasadam is non-different from Krishna and it should be respected immediately. So, so another way of saying this, uh, uh, with, with the devotee's kind permission, is that you're, you're saying, and I agree, that uh, the Hare Krishna mantra has a more uh, um, spontaneous quality. Yeah, because it's dealing with the, a person specifically. Yeah. It's not different from Krishna. Yes. But okay. the, the, Go just, ahead. just one, one tiny thing, um, and I, I have no uh, issue with, with Srila Prabhupada's words at all. But here, it seems, it seems like when he says non-different, this word non-different, which is used a lot in in uh, Srila Prabhupada's explanations, like uh, um, the. Balaram is non-different from Krishna, uh, or the uh, expansions, and Narayan is non-different from Krishna. And yet, um, then he goes on to explain that there are differences, and that not it's not so confusing to me, or that it doesn't give me a, a, a pause in my spiritual life, but it could be to someone who is uh, not so familiar with uh, and that's why we have these classes so that we study are studying together and can share realizations go ahead mm -hmm. dean yeah um i guess uh maybe a little bit the way i understood the difference between om and Hare krishna is uh i guess like um isn't om to some extent supposed to represent that that it's eternal like vibration you know, from which, which is of course derived from Krishna, but you know, they're at the beginning, they're sort of nothing. And then through this like universal vibration, everything is created. And to some extent, it's, it's supposed to be that sound and, and, and that, um, you know, to, that's such a, like, I don't know what the word is. That's such a, I guess like a, deeper technical thing and, and we've sort of lost the ability in Kali Yuga to some extent to do that but it is also impersonal and I, and I understand that even with Om and the other Yugas you know ultimately you have to focus on Krishna at some point right but maybe the way I've always kind of understood it is like here we are in Kali Yuga. Yeah, we have all these technical feats and whatnot, but we've lost um, the, the spiritual aspect of things, you know? So perhaps um, would be analogous in the material world. Let's say we had some horrible war. Yeah, we would have memory of some of the, the buildings and, and things, but we would have lost the ability to do it. I guess the good news for us is that this is the expectation is lower, right? So right. we can just go direct to the final step to some extent because right. it's understood that the expertise is just 
loss. And then I guess this, this does kind of end with a question. So given that we are in <laughs> Kali Yuga, if we had happened to have been born in other Yugas, is it the case that, that those people in those Yugas would not be, I, I guess, able or allowed is the right word to simply that, that just chanting Hare Krishna wouldn't be enough constantly like they would expect to have a more intricate knowledge because they're surrounded by it that's my question it wouldn't be um Prabhupada writes one place several places that they, there is a chanting of the holy names in other yugas but we understand that meditation is the main process of realization in satya yuga and then Sacrifice in Treta Yuga, deity worship in Dwarapara Yuga, and chanting Krishna's name in Kali Yuga. Did I get that right? Yeah. Um, and also that Lord Chaitanya appears in Kali Yuga to um, teach the chanting of the Hare Krishna mantra. So, yeah, so there's a beautiful verse that says, Kalo Dosha Nide Rajan, that this uh, Kalo, this Kali Yuga, Kalo Dosha, it has so many faults, an ocean of faults. But asti eka mahaguna, but there's one eka, great guna, great quality. Kirtanad eva krishna sya mukta sangha parambraja. That by chant, chanting, uh, one can get the highest um, perfection. Otherwise, there's so many faults, like you said. And I, I, don't, I don't think we'll get into a whole thing on Om. I was just like, for example, not, not looking at it from a Gaudiya Vaishnava point of view, but I just, all I did was type, in, type it in in Wikipedia. And, there, and even Wikipedia, which is not necessarily parampara, has a laundry list of uh, descriptions of Om. So I don't think we'll get into all of that today. Um, there is a Gaudiya Vaishnava understanding of Om also that it ultimately refers to Radha and Krishna. But most people obviously are not chanting it in that mood. Now, uh, anyone else want to talk about any what realizations about Om? Prabhuji, I have a simple question. Yes, Prabhu. Uh, someone is initiated and he is Japa, and uh, non initiated from his spiritual master, and his Japa is a Hare Krishna Mahamantra. Is it any difference? Well, we can see what uh, Jiva Taprabhu put in the chat. Uh, it's a well-known verse. One does not have to undergo initiation or execute the activities required before initiation. One simply has to vibrate the holy name with his lips. Thus, even a man in the lowest uh, class can be delivered. Now, that's, we have, you know, it's, it's as we kind of like, when we were going over the Sanskrit before of that verse in the Bhagavad Gita, we have to understand things in context. Uh, this verse is glorifying the holy name. And it's so powerful that it doesn't wait for initiation. It doesn't mean that all the other verses of how important initiation are <laughs> no longer needed. And if we look at, if you remember our study of nectar of devotion, the, of the 64 <clears throat> items, the first four are all about initiation and accepting a spiritual master right yeah. 
So it is, it is, uh, it's both. But this verse here, what it's focusing on, I'd have to look at the context in the Madhya but it's glorifying the power of the holy name. But it's not that we should take this verse, oh, then I don't. And not that this verse is wrong. It's just that both can be really super helpful. Is that yes, all right? Sir. Yeah, it is glorifying the strength of the holy name. Yeah, thank just you. Like Thakur, it says, just by Nama Bhas, one can get Krishna Prema. Mm -hmm. so, yes, again, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Andy, what is this um, in the chat? What What is the topic of that? You're on mute, I think. Well, I like to watch some of these physics lectures sometime. And I just had a big realization that I didn't have when I watched that lecture. But he was saying this physicist wanted to explain why the universe is really simple. And so everybody who has any interest in this should copy that link because it takes like an hour and 40 minutes to listen to it and maybe watch it later. But He's saying, this guy is an eminent physicist in Canada, and he's saying, and he's not caring about Ohm or what we're talking about, but he said, if you look at all the, all the energies, all the vibrations coming from the Big Bang, and you do, a, you do a Fourier analysis of all these different sound vibrations and light and everything, he said they're all vibrating in one, in the same way, in uh -huh. one way. It's oh. incredible. That's the Ohm. Yeah. And, and he didn't even mention oh because he didn't realize that's what he found but right uh, it's right. there and, and if you don't believe me don't believe me because i'm not I believe it. I believe no you, you can watch the whole thing it's incredible but he's saying like this you know that big uh particle accelerator they built the cern right he said they they predicted they would find the uh the god particle and they found it right <laughs> And he said, and that particle is very lonely. They they expected they would find all, they predicted they would find all these other particles. He said they haven't found any other. He said uh -huh. that whole experiment just proves that they would find that one particle, which they knew they had to have. But he said the rest, they expected all this additional complexity to come out with more and more particles. None others have come out. And he really? said that's what pointed the way to simplicity. And so Anybody that's interested in this, in Ohm, it can, he's saying it, it, he's confirming that. Since the, everything we can know since the Big Bang is really right. united on one, hanging on one frequency. It's actually true. Cool. So just copy that. And if you ever get bored, you can. <laughs> okay. Hey, Prabhu's, uh, if it's okay with you, I'm going to take like a two minute break and we'll be right back. Uh <laughs> Mm -hmm. Okay, okay I'll pick it up. Thanks. Oh, uh, talking about uh, Sadaputa Prabhu. Yeah. Yes, and his work is now being um, um, followed up on wonderfully by the BIHS, uh, the Bhaktivedanta Institute of Higher Studies uh, in Gainesville, Florida. They just had a conference this weekend with devotees from around the world. Um, uh, studying consciousness and yeah, but Sadaputa is great. Yeah, um, there's many lectures by him. Yeah, and his book, uh, Mechanistic and Non-Mechanistic Science. And so there's devotees who are following up and furthering his research because he's no longer with us. He passed away some years ago. Okay, uh, thank you for giving me that break. Let us see if we can cover at least one more verse today. Um, 
So that was 31. And we're going up to 36 to 39. Uh, but so 32 and 33 is next. While continuously staring at the tip of the nose, a learned yogi practices the breathing exercises through the technical means known as Puraka, Kumbhaka, and Richaka, controlling inhalation and exhalation and then stopping them both. In this way, this is Panayama, in this way, the yogi restricts his mind from material attachments and gives up all mental desires. As soon as the mind, being defeated by lusty desires, drifts towards feelings of sense gratification, the yogi should immediately bring it back and arrest it within the core of his heart. When the yogi regularly practices in this way, in a short time, his heart becomes fixed and free from disturbance, like a fire without flames or smoke. Beautiful uh, imagery there. When one's consciousness is uncontaminated by material lusty desires, it becomes calm and peaceful in all activities, for one is situated in eternal blissful life. Once situated on that platform, one does not return to materialistic activities. One who, so this is 20, uh, 36 now. So this starts talking about sannyas and very strong words, my gosh. One who accepts the sannyas order gives up the three principles of materialistic activities in which one indulges in the field of household life, namely religion, economic development and sense gratification. So religion meaning here, rituals to further our finances and our enjoyment. One who first accepts sannyas, but then returns to such materialistic activities is to be called a vantasi, or one who eats his own vomit. He is indeed a shameless person. <laughs> and Prabhupada writes, if one accepts sannyas at an immature stage, there is every possibility of his being attracted by women and lusty desires, and thus again becoming a so-called grihasta or a victim of women. Such a person is most shameless, and he is called vantasi, or one who eats that which he has already vomited. He certainly leads a condemned life. So 37, sannyasis who first consider that the body is subject to death when it will be transformed into stool, worms, or ashes, but a but who again give importance to the body and glorify it as a self are to be considered the greatest rascals. And Prabhupada in the purport at the end takes advantage of this verse to um, talk about bogus religionists. Um, and he, he has certain organizations in mind, I believe, when he says, therefore sannyasis who do not know the meaning of Narayan, those who regard the body as Brahman or as Narayana, are considered here as asamata, uh, no, asatama, sorry, asatama, the most abominable rascals. Following the bodily concept of life, the sannyasis make various programs to serve the body. They conduct farcical missions consisting of so-called religious activities meant to mislead all the human society. These sannyasis have been described here as apatrapa and asamata. Satama, sorry. Shameless and fallen from spiritual life. And the next verse, it is abominable for a person living in the Grihasa Ashram to give up the regulated principles. For a brahmachari not to follow the brahmachari vows while living under the good care of the guru. 
for Avana Prasta to live in the village and engage in so-called social activities or for a sannyasi to be addicted, addicted to sense gratification. One who acts in this way is to be considered the lowest renegade. Such a pretender is bewildered by the external energy of the Supreme Personality of Godhead and one should either reject them from any position or, and here's, I think the- I wanna get there and start cutting the thread. Somebody's not on mute. Andy, Andy, mute, Andy. Andy, mute, please. Good luck with that. I just did. I muted him. Don't worry. Um, and this, I think, is some key words in terms of practical application, this last half of this last sentence. Or taking compassion upon him, teach him, if possible, to resume his original. Um, so we'll read the purport. Uh, we have repeatedly stressed that human culture does not begin unless one takes to the principles of Varnashrama Dharma. Although grihasta life is a concession for the enjoyment of sex, one cannot enjoy sex without following the rules and regulations of householder life. Furthermore, as already instructed, a brahmachari must live under the care of the guru. Brahmachari, guru kule vastantantam gorohitam. If a brahmachari does not live under the care of the guru, if a vanaprasta engages in ordinary activities or a sannyasi is greedy and eats meat, eggs, and other, and all kinds of nonsense for the satisfaction of his tongue, he is a cheater and should be immediately rejected as unimportant. Such persons should be shown compassion, and if one has sufficient strength, one should reach them, teach them to stop from following the wrong path of life. Okay, so um, this is very important because there are devotees who, especially in the early days, uh, not very common today, who took sannyas and, and then, uh, wanted to get married. And Prabhupada uh, was, he took this compassionate side. He didn't just say, Bantasi, useless. No, he, he engaged them in Krishna's service. He had faith by engaging in Krishna's service, everything will be all right in the long run. So, uh, so he even arranged for two sannyasis that I know of to, uh, to get married. Um, <clears throat> he, he had such strong faith in the power of bhakti that even if we acted inappropriately sometimes in, in our Varnashrama duties, that ultimately by chanting the Hare Krishna Mahamantra, by associating with devotees, by reading his books, by doing devotional service, uh, one will become purified. So the, 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 the scriptures here are very strong, trying to act as a deterrent but we should also remember very carefully these last parts of this verse which says that uh, take compassion uh, and teach if possible to resume to his original position. Because <clears throat> it is not unusual in the age of Kali for someone to take vows and experience some struggles sometime, um, but rather, then rejecting them, uh, find ways to help them become purified. And that so, is but, important. So it yes? sounds like it's, it's better to, if you're not 100% sure, not take sannyas than it is. Yep. 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 Very good point. In the early days, Prabhupada gave it easily because, you know, he had to start with something and he, and, you know, sannyasis do a lot of preaching and stuff. So, but then he became much more strict and now much more strict in ISKCON. Um, one has to be of a certain age. 
One has to show that um, he's financially taken care of his dependents. One has to know scripture, but you're right. One should think a hundred times these days. Is it a, is it a, a, the age restriction? What is that? Well, just because, you know, hopefully as we get older, our uh, material desires become a little bit less. And also mm -hmm. if we were married, our children are, are growing up and right. are not dependent upon oh, so us. So it's not, it's not a, a capped age, it's... Oh no, it's the other way, it's a minimum, okay. minimum, sorry. Yeah, it's a minimum, yeah. Yeah, so I think we've become more mature about this, but, um, you know, uh, even for people, for devotees on this call, it's not out of the question as we get older. It might be that, you know, uh, that um, our children are fine. If we, our, our, our wife is fine uh, with this and uh, our children are growing up and they are promising to take care of the wife. And, um, and we, we understand that we're not gonna live forever. So why not a separation that is planned out and, and done in a mature way than the separation that has to take place at the time of death, right? And it's not for everyone. It's not for, there's, there's even restrictions in the scriptures that it's not generally recommended in Kali Yuga. Um, and Bhaktivino Thakur says that if one is doing well in their, uh, their Grihastha Vanaprastha Ashram, there's no need. But at the same time, um, at other places, Prabhupada would, some, would often uh, encourage it for the right person at the right time in the right place. Uh, any other thoughts? Well, actually, our time is up. <laughs> so thank you very much, um, everyone. And uh, we will see you on Boxing Day, as they call it in uh, Canada and Ireland, the day after Christmas. So be careful. There's all this COVID going around and everything. Uh, and uh, chant Hare Krishna. It Especially if you travel. Yes. Yeah. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Thank you.